Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. of in soccer we trust i'm the high energy jimmy conrad alongside two of my favorite former u.s men's national team teammates charlie davies and heath pierce clean shaven Heath pierce if you can't see him right now looking about 15 years younger putting the hollywood in hollywood heath pierce all right guys we're going to take a deep dive into the good the bad and the ugly of the u.s men's national team and some of our players performances over this past weekend we're going to talk about which CONCACAF team has the best chance to go the farthest at the 2022 World Cup happening later this year in Qatar. A lot to get into. I'm excited to be joined by you guys, as always. Keith, I'm going to start with you first, Mr. Handsome. What are we saying about Christian Pulisic coming on and scoring game winners for Chelsea as he does? That's why he wears the number 10 shirt, everybody. Yeah, I mean, I was stoked to see uh, him do that. Uh, I was less stoked to see just his generalist comment after of just like, yeah, you know, happy to help the team and opportunities. Bro, take your shots. Thomas Tuchel's taking <laughs> shots at you for going to the national team. Like, that's what that, that's what that's what teams did when I was playing. Like when I was playing in Germany, I was like one of three players that called into the national team. You got punished every time you left because everybody was there training, but. You're playing at Chelsea. The whole place is gone. I get your flights a little bit longer and all that stuff, but if he's going to take shots, shoot shots back, man. Okay, all right. And Charlie, what are you saying about this? Because of anything that I actually really appreciate, low-key really appreciate about Christian Pulisic is his ability to bounce back when things aren't going his way. There's been plenty of times where you could see him kind of have that Eeyore puppy dog, these things aren't going my way, but he's, he figures out a way to finally get almost get out of his own way and start to score some big goals and have more influence on the team. But it still hasn't seemed to have convinced Thomas Tuchel to make him a regular. He, he's resilient. He, he's always stepped up in, in the big moments. And I think when he's fit and he's in form and, and you can tell he's dialed in and happy, he's, he's the best attacker for me that Chelsea has. And he's proven it at times. And you talk about those brilliant moments that he's been able to produce – no one else is doing that for Chelsea at that level. He is just so dynamic. He brings, he really brings the attack together because he can hit you in so many different ways, whether it's dribbling, whether it's his off-the-ball runs, um, his, his service. He's very effective. And what we've seen from the U.S. men's national team, it's it's almost like they rely on him too much to do that. Whereas at Chelsea, mm-hmm. it's, okay, here's your moment. You know, We've created space. We have all these other players who can do a little bit and take the load off of him. With the U.S. men's national team, I think he puts it on himself to be the man. And I see Reed, CP10 is the man. He is the man when when he's fit. And I think Thomas Tuchel takes him for granted a little bit. And I think that's why maybe a move this summer would probably be, I think, best for both parties in this Oof. move because they're not they're not relying on him the way that, one, he wants to be relied on. He wants to be on the pitch. And it's great you, you have someone pushing him. You don't want everything to be guaranteed, which is something that we always talk about. That's why you go to Europe because you're you're uncomfortable, you're pushed. But the same in this at the same time, you need to be at a place where they value you. You're getting pushed, but they value. And I don't think they they do that quite enough at Chelsea. Jimmy, yeah, so- do you think that he's the best player that we've ever had for the national team under pressure like that? Now, I don't mean like chip on the shoulder coming back. I don't mean the adversity side. I just mean the fact that he comes in late in the game and is able to score. 
in a match of that magnitude to get Chelsea that win. That sort of, we talk about Weston McKinney, we talk about others having that X factor or that game changer ability, but do you think he's sort of at the highest we've ever had in terms of that at the level that he's playing at? I, I, I would say, say Clint Dempsey probably takes the cake with that just in terms of World Cups. I mean, the guy scores goals every single true. World Cup he's been in, in in terms of those big moments. But if you're talking about just quality as a whole, he's the best player that we've we've ever had with the U.S. national team. Yeah, I agree with Charlie on the Clint Dempsey shout in terms of like chip on your shoulder, wanting to prove I don't care what the situation is. I'm going to stick this right up your ass. I love that about Clint Dempsey. Christian doesn't seem to have that maybe same type of animosity that that Clint had. And I think that was one of his biggest strengths was turning kind of that negativity into a positivity. I you would like getting elbowed in the face by Clint. Well, no, he broke my jaw. You know, that's, really? that's, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I was just saying that because he used to elbow me in the face all the time in training. I'm like, bro, like we got a game tomorrow. This is a walkthrough. This was one of those that they literally friends, said right? no contact, no tackling. And, he, you know, he's like, that's an elbow. That's not a tackle. <laughs> no, yeah, it's one of those things. He hits you in the face a couple times. Like, wait, we're friends. Are we friends? I don't know if we're friends. That's, that feels a little bit past the friend line. But uh, no, Clint and I have had great yeah. battles over the years. And, and uh, where did you yeah. break your jaw? It was in New England. It was uh, after the World Cup. So we were World Cup teammates, and about a month later, he broke my jaw in an MLS game. You know, I'll be honest, just a, a little quick sidebar. I was a little bit, not depressed, but it was kind of in a bit of a fog because I'd accomplished everything I'd set out to do and then some by playing in a World Cup, and I just had a bit of a letdown coming off of that, and I needed a break mentally. And so I have to thank Clint Dempsey's elbows for giving me that because I had to be wired shut for eight weeks. <laughs> okay, sidebar over. With regard to Christian Pulisic, I love his 1v1 ability and his ability to really unbalance teams when he beats that first player is excellent. And I don't know if we had somebody as maybe quick and Clint's got it, but Clint creates space in a little bit of a different way. Whereas I think that with Christian, he drives at you a little bit more. He's, they're almost, he's almost a mix of Clint and, and Landon in some capacity yeah. where, where he's kind of got the quickness of, of Landon, but a little bit of that deceptiveness that I think that, that, Clint had with the ball, whereas I think Landon's off the ball running was excellent. So, so with Christian, what gives me the biggest, biggest pause, Heath, about the whole thing is when I saw those Tuchel comments, and I'm going to read the comment now because you addressed it before. He said, Pulisic struggled a little bit since he came back from international break where he, where I think he had three matches and an incredible amount of journeys and time zones to cope with. From there, he struggled a bit energy-wise. That was my impression on and off the pitch. Sometimes it is like this. So I hear Tuchel say that about Pulisic, and I wonder... But you rolled out 37-year-old Tiago Silva, who's coming from Brazil. He's going through the same goddamn thing. And, and you don't think Pulisic has the capacity to, to, to do that, but, but Tiago Silva is. And now I understand there are two, two different positions in the way that Chelsea plays defense. You're not maybe doing as much running as opposed to what they want from, from Pulisic. But I don't know. I, I just it, Interesting comments. And it just feels like Tuchel's made his decision that he's going to be a super sub and everybody's got to be okay with that. Charlie, what do you think? I think the reading is uh, it's on the wall. I mean, for, for someone like Christian Pulisic, who has shown his quality, has played under Tuchel, Tuchel developed him at, or helped develop him at Dortmund. You have him at Chelsea, and he, he's never – he's always the first sub. You know, it feels like he's always the first person that Tuchel has to make an excuse for. Oh, you're traveling too much. Your energy is too low. When you look at the rest of the roster – it also kind of coincides with with Timo Werner, who who seems to be going up, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and Christian's coming down. And because you're giving him confidence, you're giving him opportunities, and those opportunities are taking away from time from Christian. So it, it's a it's a obviously a deep roster. It's Chelsea. Anywhere you go across the board at that level, you're going to have competition. And if you're not performing week in and week out, typically it's the next guy's turn because you're competing for Champions League, you're complete, complete, competing for, for league trophies. But mm -hmm. I think with, with where Chelsea are right now and how Thomas Tuchel has used him, you know, I mean, he's used him at wing back. He's used him left, right, withdrawn striker. It's not been one position. And I think when you when you get to those levels, you're, you're, you're kind of stapled with one position if you're the guy. He's not the guy at Chelsea. The last thing I wanted to say about that, though, is that the hardest part about Chelsea is, one, the depth, but two, they just have so many inconsistent players. So it's never been a thing where we've been able to say, you know, a, a non-starter normally is like you go like four, five, six months 
right? Where you're a super sub, like it's made clear, but Pulisic is a starter for a bit. Then he's not a starter because Mm -hmm. guess who else is inconsistent? Young Timo Werner, a young Kai Havertz, a young Mason Mount. Like their team is full of so many young players. Not so young Lukaku. Yeah, not so young Lukaku. But at least Lukaku, we were clear that he's not going to be a starter for Chelsea. You can say that out and out. For Pulisic, it's just about like his form versus others. And like Mm -hmm. Lukaku, they just decided this is not a start in my team. It doesn't make sense. Whereas every time we think Pulisic is right back in there again, it lasts for a while and you mix that with injuries. And then obviously the excuse of the national team and form and all that stuff. And, you know, he's saying the same thing in the German media about Timo Werner, right? Uh, And and his form and Kai Havertz and his form and these players where – It just always feels like it's undecided whether or not he's a starter. Where you look at the other teams, eventually you lose the battle or you win the battle to be a starter. Now, that doesn't guarantee you anything for the future. But for Chelsea, just because how many young players they have, it just seems like it's 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 uh, change is 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 imminent, you know. And and we wait for that. But I think there's a better place out there for him where he can at least win or lose that battle. Clearly, the the thing that that is is hard to wrap my head around is he's 23 years old. We forget how young he is. When you look at the rest of the roster, you know, Lukaku's 28, Timo Werner's 26, uh, Hakim Ziyech is 29, Havertz is 22, Mason Mount's 23. So if you're talking about the future of Chelsea, Chelsea would be absolutely foolish to let him go, especially with where the club is with the ownership and uh, can players resign or, or can they sign players? And you know you have a gem on your hands. And I think for Thomas Tuchel, He's tested Christian many times. When you talk about a player's character, are they gonna, he's proven, hey, I'm in this. Whether I'm playing or I'm not, I'll be ready. Usually a coach goes through maybe one or two times of testing a player. He's risen to the occasion on, bo- on multiple times of being tested, go- being a starter scoring goals to bench. Now you would say, all right, he's earned his place. That's not the case with Thomas Tuchel, and I don't know why. It's interesting because he also had – Pulisic at Borussia Dortmund. So this isn't like his first foray into Christian and what his abilities are, what his capabilities are in terms of on and off the field and and all that interesting uh, stuff. In terms of the mental side of the game too, as, as, as you, you you make a good point, Charlie, about his being tested, uh, his character's being tested and, and his buy-in. Is he going to be a good soldier no matter what the situation is? It's interesting though, when you are a super sub and you do well and you start to score match winners and you start to influence the game, You'd like to think if you're that player, I've done enough to merit more playing time. He's probably doing something similar in training where he's got a little chip on his shoulder and then he gets that opportunity. And I feel like when you are a super sub and you finally get your chance to start, you feel like you got to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're going to go right back to being a super sub because then you proved the coach right that you're not playing well. So when he comes in, he's a super sub against Madrid, right? In the second leg. And he had a couple of half chances that people thought he should have converted. They're a lot, a lot harder than people I think really want to take into consideration, but it didn't really work out in that capacity. And he kind of stays in that role. And that is interesting. Now, these are all really good points. And so there's a question that I'm going to pose to you first, Heath, about where Christian should go. Cause to Charlie's point, I don't see any reason why Chelsea should sell him given his age, given his marketability, especially here in the States, and obviously what he's capable of, wh- where would he go that that not only, I think the cl- any club would benefit from having his presence for a lot of different reasons, but what would benefit him the most? Wh- which club would that be? And I assume it's got to be a regular starter. You can't go to a similar situation. Yeah, that's the hardest part is like, what's the right one? And as Charlie said, he's 23, so he's still got so much growing to do that it's not like we're talking about, again, when we mentioned Clint Dempsey a while ago at, the, at, at his peak going to a, a Spurs. There's a, a wild range of clubs that could be decent situations for the next step of his career. But again, we need him playing, right? We don't want it to be so big that we go somewhere that he gets buried again. We need him to compete. He seems to be good at being resilient or bouncing back in situations. So I don't know if I have a perfect answer for that because I, I always think about a Dortmund, but he's already left Dortmund uh, of being like, here's a good place that's decent size. They compete for trophies. They're you know, pressure is high, that sort of thing. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, Charlie, if you say Liverpool, he's going to be a spot starter there. You say a Barcelona, Bayern, yeah. and he's got any of those big clubs that are comparable to Chelsea, he's still going to be a spot starter. So he's uh, going to have to accept you, a little bit of a, a step back. What, what do you I'll think? Give you a club. I'll give you All a right. club. Atletico Madrid mm. is, is one club where I think he would do really well. And because of, of the structure and you're playing under Simeone, yes, you got to work. He's proven he'll work on both sides of the ball. That's not an issue. 
He's 23. And if you're talking about partnerships with Zhao Felix, I mean, that that would be exciting. I mean, you talk about players that have to make a difference. Luis Suarez is 35. He's on the way out. Antoine Griezmann, he's 31. Not that he's on the way out, but he's up there and he's he's spoken candidly about wanting to come to MLS. Mm -hmm. The days of going to MLS when you're 34, 35, 36, 37, unless you're a Slatan Ibrahimovic, a player, Cristiano Ronaldo, those days are over. So I could see Antoine Griezmann making the move to MLS in the next year or two. So mm -hmm. in terms of being a creative attacking player, and I think La Liga suits him really well. You know, it's a, a, t, a, a league where it's free-flowing. There's there's a lot of passing sequences and a lot of room and freedom. I, I would prefer him, if I if I were in his shoes, to be in La Liga than Syria, where it's very defensive. And, you know, the Italian league is, is all about tactics and really tight blocks. And unless you're playing for AC Milan or Inter, um, it's really not a – or Juve. The, Outside of those three teams, I think it's it's very difficult to to really have success and, and be, have the creative freedom as you would if you were playing on a top team in, in the EPL or in La Liga. I, I really like the Atleti shout because I think Spain would be a good league for him to go out and have some mm -hmm. success. I don't know if Diego Simeone's the guy uh, per se. Yeah, I, I love him, but that that gives me a little bit of pause. However. I think Sevilla would be a nice spot for him because they're usually a club that's trying to compete with those other ones. They have the talent. They've clearly won under Julian Lopetegui. The way that they set up, they have a clear identity. And I think him with Ocampos and Nezri and Rack. Oh, yeah. Him and Tecatito playing side by Teca side. Yeah, you know what? Tecatito actually scored a couple <laughs> goals. So yeah. so I forgot about Tecatito coming from Porto to, to play there. But it would be interesting. I know Martial has gone there and, and with mixed results, but – there's something about their wing play that I like, and and uh, you got Navas overlapping him. I don't know. Sevilla would be an interesting spot for him to go, but obviously a question that we'll have to try to find answers for for quite some time. So that was the good, even though we mixed in some bad about his future. With yeah, I think that was bad. <laughs> but let's talk about some real bad and some ugly here. We're going to package these together, Heath. Yunus Musa comes on a week mm -hmm. after Zach Steffen, another U.S. men's national team player, makes a mistake in a, in a big cup game. Mm -hmm. Yunus Musa. Comes on with 20 minutes left to go in extra time. Real mm -hmm. Betis 1-1 with Valencia in the Copa del Rey final. He's the fourth kicker out of five. He's the only person who ends up making a missing a penalty. He doesn't even put it on frame. Hits it high and wide. Kind of Roberto Baggio-esque in the 94 World Cup final. Shout out to Roberto Baggio, who was a tremendous player, by the way. We never talk about him enough. But, but he misses that one. And... Then Valencia go on to lose and Betis win their first Copa del Rey since 2005. And then you got Serginho Dest getting hurt for Barcelona against Raya Vallecano. Barcelona loses three straight home games for the first time in their history, which is pretty re remarkable. And he could have done better on the goal that Raya Vallecano scored. He didn't really track his runner, tracked it a little bit late. There was some criticism of his starting position and his awareness. So kind of bad for these two particular guys. A missed penalty, that happens, right? Kayasaka happens in the Euros. He's bounced back. Best, He's taken pens for Arsenal now, which I love. But Eunice is 19 years old, and that is a lot to handle at such a young age. But then obviously with Dest, we're, he's out for four to six weeks with his hamstring injury done for the season. We have an injury problem, Heath. I said that last week. I'm going to say it again. Yeah, I mean, what I'd like to focus on on these is, well, one, the injury problem. I, I am concerned about that. I think it's cyclical, and I think we're just going going through that right now. I think there's probably every country is dealing with similarly these run through COVID of these different circumstances. You got World Cup qualifying, all these things being thrown back into the mix of all these players. Uh, and that worries me because we're starting to see more and more players from the national team get hurt, including Serginho Des. But what I want to focus on from these whole things is we're talking about Eunice Musa, a 19-year-old missing a penalty in the Copa del Rey final. That's an insane thing that's going to be a learning experience for him. He's a teenager. It sucks. But it's going to help shape him moving forward, which I think is insane. 19 years old. Serginho Dest, yanked at halftime, injured. You know, uh, we're, we're probably over-amplifying a lot of the tabloid uh, newspapers that exist in, in Spain, and a lot of them are tabloids, about Xavi being furious with Serginho Dest and, you know, the halftime sub and whatever. But this is a 21-year-old playing in big games at Barcelona. And I think that's where I want to focus my time and energy on. Again, I go back to the fact that we've never had players at this age playing at clubs at the size that they are. you got to go through good and bad. If you go through any of the superstars of history, take out Renault, like the outliers of like the, the, the best to ever play the game. They've had to cut their teeth. They've had to 
go through these kind of come to Jesus moments where they're highlighted, it's amplified in the media. They got to deal with the pressure. They got to deal with mistakes. They got to deal with things not going their way. And Eunice Musa is still 19 years old. Serginho Des still 21 years old. And we've got so much upside in them that I'm trying to at least turn these downsides, injuries aside, into, into upsides in terms of learning experiences that they're going through at the age that they're going through them and how that can help to, to, to shape them for the future. Yeah. And Charlie, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's about building character. And with every low comes a high. These, these moments don't last. Every player knows that. You, you always go through these bad spells and you take a lot from it, it whether that propels you with the mine lasted own. like seven or eight years charlie i never like you still bounce back um and, and i think for for these players they have so much talent they have so much quality this is only going to help them for not only this coming world cup but think about 2026 all the players that have been out and about and experiencing playing at the highest of levels and maturing. I think by that time, you're going to have Eunice Musa, you're going to have Christian Pulisic and Dest in the, the perfect situation with their clubs, where they're in their prime, they're competing as long as, as they stay healthy. And um, that's also part of it, right, is, is the health part. I'll also say, if you're looking at the rest of, you know, some of the U.S. soccer players out there, you know, Brendan Aronson, he got his first game back. You know, he played 64 minutes, scored a penalty, uh, scored, I think he scored a penalty in that's his right. return. Um, you know, he hadn't played a league match since March 13th. Timothy Weah plays back-to-back 90 minutes, and, and this time he's playing as a left wing, left midfielder, and they win 1-0. You know, Ricardo Pepe didn't make the, the – didn't get into the game, but he was on the bench. And his team wins, which I think secures them in the Bundesliga for next year. Yeah, but both of his players playing over him always score when he doesn't play, which is a tough situation for yeah, him, tough. him to be in. Um, yeah. yeah, but it, 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 when a team invests at that level that much money – yeah, he's gonna get an opportunity, it because you you can't lose out on your investment. So yeah, I'd also jump in and say that Tyler Adams on the good news side got to play ninety minutes for RB Leipzig. They were up one zero against Union Berlin, who they just beat in the DFB Pokal semifinals, and then they gave up a goal in the eighty sixth and ninetieth minute. He was still on the field, and they lost two to one. I don't know. I don't know what you want to say about that, but uh, I'm just happy he got ninety minutes. I know there had been some discussions about whether his coach trusted him and. And whether he was going to see the field and coming off an injury, but uh, him getting 90 minutes is super important as oh, well, especially if he's trying to showcase himself to go somewhere else, right? Well, I mean, there might be some big opportunity for a lot of these guys to like, we need minutes so we can prove, Charlie, that that uh, we're capable of playing at a high level. And uh, if any other teams are out there that want to believe in me, I'm available. Well, they also have Europa League semifinals against Rangers, and that's another uh, space for Tyler Adams to continue to promote himself and also get a move. For all the people out there asking about the striker position, Jordan Peefalk, again, scored a brace to bring him to 21 goals on the season in 30 matches. It, incredible. Obviously, we have not seen that from, from him in the U.S. men's national team kit. But I think this is the summer he makes a move, and then we can really see his level. Because I don't think anyone really knows what his peak is yet. Because, yep. you know, you're in Switzerland, young boys – it's hard to judge just where you are. If you make a move to Liga or the Bundesliga, then I think we'll be able to, to get a real sense of where he is. I still think he's on the radar, Heath, Jordan Pifok. Uh, I love his goal-scoring stuff. When I watch Young Boys highlights, it's a lot of him getting on the end of crosses. And I don't necessarily feel like we're a national team that does that as consistently. We're trying to find our inverted wingers. Or we're trying to find space in front of that back four and then trying to break it down from there. When, when Team Away is out wide right, you know, then we do get some crosses, and obviously we know that PFOC had that good chance uh, against Mexico. It's weird because we only score from crosses, but we should probably think about that, uh, you know, from wide areas. Uh, we should probably think about Jordan PFOC a little bit more in the context of that. But, Jimmy, I, I agree with you. If he, if he, if if Jordan PFOC keeps scoring the way that he is, or he's playing regularly and scoring so-so at a bigger club, he's going to the World Cup. You can't not you have bring to take this guy to a World Cup because he's also a different physical profile than anybody else that we have. In the national team, um, at least right now, Daryl DK could probably, you know, be a be a one for one swap. But we, you know, he was a player that you were screaming for, Jimmy, for a while with uh, um, uh, and, and getting a call up. But Pivot continues to just defy. I think what what the the how we've summarized or not we, but how people have summarized him as a player and continues to score goals. And you can't deny that at a certain point, he's in he's in the twenties, right? 10, 12, 13, 14 goals, decent run of form for any striker on any season. 
but now he's in the 20s. It doesn't matter what league you're playing in. Uh, their team's not in first place. He's gone through a managerial change. They're not run, they're not RB Leipzig running away with the title, you know, or RB Salzburg. They're 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 behind all that. He's the one producing most of the goals, which is worth something. All right. That was our weekend recap of some of the top players for us in and around Europe doing the work. But now we're going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to talk about which team from CONCACAF is going to go farthest in the World Cup in six months' time. So don't go anywhere. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. We Wait, Jimmy, Jimmy hold, on, hold on, hold yes, on, hold please, on. Yes, please, please, please. Charlie please. just tried to call me out in the group chat, in our, like, side chat, saying that, that Austria is different than Switzerland. I Like, as if I don't know where RB Salzburg played, Charlie. Charlie? You were, you were bringing it up, like... He no, is not no. at the top of the league. No, I'm saying he's not at the top of the league in Switzerland where RB Salzburg, if he had scored all those goals, RB Salzburg had scored 70 goals. They're expecting, like your, your striker at RB Salzburg that runs away with the league title every year is going to score a lot more goals than a team, than a player in a different league or a team in a different league that's not top of the table, right? It's not, I'm, yeah. I, I guess what the point I was trying to make is that RB Salzburg and young boys are not the same same thing. Young boys are not like way out in front of the table. Or they're running away, and then the twenty-one goals are circumstantial because they score a hundred and something a year. Gotcha. Fight, well, fight, I thought you fight, were trying to make fight, it like fight, fight, fight in the fight. same league. But you could just say the same as they're not the Bayern Munich of of Switzerland. Yeah, I was gonna say that, but it's like they're like not that many goals left in uh, games left in the year, and and uh, Dortmund were close to them up until this last weekend. Uh, I guess a couple weekends, but yeah, you get you get my point. Is that there's some yeah. like some leagues where there's a t- one team every single year runs away, and if Jordan mm-hmm. Pifok was scoring all the goals for that 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 team, like a Zobischlei or whatever, uh, when he was at at Salzburg, it or wouldn't Holland. be yeah. yeah Holland yeah it wouldn't be that they 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 dominate every game they have possession they they score a you know gazillion amount of goals or he's actually in a team that's not even going to win the league they went through a managerial change yet somehow he's still producing um on the way that he is that was the point not that I'll, i don't I'll, know ge- geography just Charlie. to jump in really quick when we had that chance to listen to greg burhalter when he made those quotes i brought up the players in 2010 hercules gomez <laughs> uh, robbie finley edson buttle and greg corrected me and said what's what do they all have in common they're all goal scorers. And so mm-hmm. if there's somebody that's that hot, you are going to have to put them on the team, essentially what's going to happen. So if PFOC does make a move, or even if he stays at Young Boys and continues this same rate, I think you have to bring him, especially if the rosters get expanded from 23 to 26. All right, now, before we take any steps further, I want to give some love to one of our other podcasts underneath the CBS Sports umbrella, the Attacking Third, an unbelievable women's Amazing. soccer podcast. They're doing the U.S. Women's National Team Hour. It's going live today and every Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, with Lori Lindsay, Sandra Herrera, and host Lisa Roman. They're going to be discussing the U.S. Women's National Team's players' club performances in the NWSL this past weekend, the CONCACAF Women's Championship, USA's draw. They're in the group with Mexico, Jamaica, and Haiti, and the Women's World Cup, World Cup qualifiers, and it's just a great show. So we just want to make sure that we give some love to the attacking third. And we hope that you check them out. Because if you like what we got going on over here with the U.S. men's national team kind of focused stuff, they got you covered. The attacking third on the U.S. women's national team 
front. And it is a great listen. So a shout out to Lori, Sandra, and Lisa. All right, boys. Now, we promised that we were going to discuss which of the CONCACAF nations was going to get the furthest. And when we talked to Hugo Perez last week, he thought that Canada... Now, he's the coach of the El Salvador national team. In case you haven't listened to that episode, we, should, we really uh, you should go back and listen to it. It's fantastic. But he said that Canada was the hardest team for El Salvador to prepare for in World Cup qualifying. But we all know that if you want to go far in a World Cup, you got to get points in that first game. You got to win that first game. And of all of us that are competing in it, Canada's got the toughest. They play Belgium first. That's a tough one to draw. Now, we can make a counter argument that sometimes if you have that much time to prepare for that first opponent, you can maybe get a result. And I wouldn't put past, I wouldn't put anything past Canada manager John Herdman, who has been well prepared throughout. But I think they have the most difficult group out of the top three teams. We'll see if Costa Rica ends up getting in. And that gives me a little bit of pause. But you still got to go out there and win the first game. And one of the stats that I wanted to bring up, and Heath, I'll throw this to you, is that only three countries lost the first game or didn't win the first game in World Cup history to go on and win the World Cup. Obviously, get the, the ultimate prize. It was Spain in 2010 who lost to Switzerland first in the group stage. They went on to win the rest of their games. It was Italy in 82 where they drew the first game. And it was England in 66 when they drew against Uruguay. And they went on to win the 66 World Cup as well. That's it. So of all the World Cups, only three have dropped points in that first game and went on to win it. We're not even looking to do that well, from a U.S. perspective. We just we just want to get out of our group and then, hey, whatever happens, happens. So it would be awesome if we got all the way to the promised land. That's a big ask. I'm not, I want to, get, I want to keep our reality, always give expectations in reality here. So, Heath, what are you saying when you look at all these nations, where everybody's at? I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's still plenty of time and injuries are going to come into it and people or players that that might be on the fringe, might start to emerge as, as must-haves like Jordan Pifok in the team, and they're going to start. Who, who do you like to go furthest? Now, I do want to throw out there that Mexico has gotten to the round of 16 in seven straight World Cups, which is pretty impressive, that consistency. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I mean, is it not a little bit annoying? Are you guys not a little bit annoyed about the, U the U.S.'s group not being settled? Like, I mean, obviously, there's, there's, there's very legitimate reasons behind that. But is it not annoying that we can't just think about the group in the context <laughs> of the group? I true, mean, there true. is there is a little bit to 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 just have to wait for between you know obviously Wales, uh, Scotland, and and Ukraine, and I think that's a little bit harder to not that well, it's either our first of them opponent really, too. I yeah. think that's what's irking you a bit is that it's our first yeah. opponent. It's it's really it's just it's just annoying because I, just wrapping my head around this group and how you navigate that, and I, I've talked a lot about it about just navigating groups are just so different than than anything else like qualifying for World Cup or other tournaments. Like group play is such an interesting thing that there are these statistics, as you said, Jimmy, about, about uh, you know, what, three teams, I guess, that have, have given up points in their first game to go on to win it. Again, we're not talking about the U.S. going on to win it. But when I think about who could go the furthest, it's still a little bit harder to navigate. Like, could the U.S. finish first in their group? Maybe. Could they finish, like, could they finish second? Definitely, uh, definitely could, but not knowing who that is makes it a little bit harder. But when I think about um, when I think about Canada's group, that's just a, a really difficult group. Um, knowing that they play Belgium first as well, uh, I, I just again I think because they play a few days later, that's a huge difference, especially going into this um, going into this uh, World Cup where there's not a lot of time leading in that you're coming through season in the middle of seasons and, and a short run up that an extra week together could mean a lot, but it also means an extra week together for, for Belgium. Um, let's, well, so, let's catch yeah. everybody up. It's you got just so that everybody knows that group it's Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Canada's first two games are against Belgium, Croatia. And okay. On paper, we could probably say Morocco's who they probably prefer first because Morocco you know, it's like when you look at the FIFA ranks, Belgium second, Croatia 16th, obviously World Cup finalists last time around. Canada's 38th and Morocco's 24th. So on paper, mm -hmm. you'd want to get Morocco first. They don't. And now they've got two very difficult opponents. Charlie, actually, I'll come to you on this one. You know, what, what, what you think Canada's got much of a chance to, to there's something about them that I really like, that mm -hmm. element of surprise. I just yeah. don't think these other nations are going to be really taken into consideration how good this Canada team is and how organized they are. It's the group of death. I mean, that is a really difficult group. All four teams 
could you could see going through. Mor- Morocco, people aren't talking about Morocco. Morocco is, is legit. They have some real quality mm-hmm. within that team. Uh, man, the first game is going to be really difficult because you, you lose against Belgium. And not to say that they will lose, but that's a really difficult game. Now, going into Croatia, and Croatia is a really uh, fantastic team. I mean, you, you look at Luka Modric and Ivan Perisic, and, you know, I just don't see them make it. I, I could see them coming away with three points, but I just don't think that's good enough to, to get out of that group. So I would say they have the toughest group uh, of the four CONCACAF teams, even given Costa Rica makes it through. I, I just – I love I love what they've been able to do this year. I think it's going to be a tremendous experience for them, which will help them in 2026. But that was, I think, always the goal, just to get to the World Cup, get that experience so that in 2026 you're, you're – in a better position to to not only advance on the group, but make a deep run. Okay. And that's uh, Canada's interesting. And, and what's interesting about the Belgium game too, is that Belgium's kind of got that nearly team thing. This is the last gasp, I think for their golden generation of players. So you got De Bruyne and you got Lukaku and I don't know which version of Eden Hazard's going to show up, but you got or him Lukaku. as well. That's true. But the back line, obviously a little suspect, uh, but we'll see if they can get some of that righted before the start of it. And Roberto Martinez, we'll see what. Jimmy, somebody threw something up here, by the way, that the USMNT is not going to get out in second. And if they did, they would play France. They don't play France, right? They would play the group Group A. They play the winner of Group A. If they found if they played France, I believe it would be a quarterfinal. Quarterfinal, game. not the round. Of potential, potential yeah. quarterfinal. Maybe yeah. they put quarterfinal in there, but yeah. So so then let's talk, let's shift to, to Mexico. And uh, actually, I'm, this is a good time to, to tease. We have a special guest. I don't know if I want to say the name, but we have a current Mexican national team player joining us on Thursday's show. It's not Rafa Marquez. It's not Rafa Marquez. It's not Rafa Marquez, who's played in five World Cups, by the way, and one of only three people that ever do that. It's not Rafa Marquez. Uh, it's not Carlos Vela or Chicharito, sadly. Those, those guys would have been good, too. But but we have a current national team that was part of World Cup qualifying for Mexico. He's going to be joining us on Thursday. Well, I'm going to leave it as a tease. I just, want, I just want to leave it there. I think it's a great one. We're really excited about that. But let's talk about Mexico, Heath. Now, in the last World Cup in 2018, they played Germany first, and everybody was doom and gloom. Kind I of was like, at yeah. that game. It was awesome. It was awesome. And, and obviously, Chucky Lozano's coming out party in a lot of different ways. And they slapped them around. And we could see that Canada may be doing the same for Belgium and kind of putting everybody on notice that we got some good teams here in CONCACAF. No. Now, Mexico, as I mentioned, everybody knows they're good. They've gotten around a 16, seven World Cups in a row and always lost there. But there's something to be said for that, them always being dangerous in this competition. Now, they came out and surprised Germany 1-0. Chucky Lozano scored. But they were always in control of that game. I think that was the most enjoyable part about it. And I want to get your insight since you were there. The second game, they beat South Korea 2-1. Uh, Vela and Chicharito scored. Both of those guys not involved in the national team anymore. And Hingman Sun scored late in that one to make it 2-1. And then they lost to Sweden 3-0. And then they get into the round of 16 and once again lose and uh, to Brazil. And that's not a big surprise. You were going to run into a big boy at some point and uh, wasn't enough for them to see it through. But I don't know if this current team is as good or as talented. Is that that team in 2018, you were there. I mean, kind of give me some analysis of what you saw then and what you think of the team now. Yeah, I mean, I think they're 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 between generations right now. I don't see a, a clear picture or identity. But to put it into context, when we're talking about who can go the furthest, if if Mexico didn't take that beating by Sweden and finish level on points, they would have played Switzerland in the next round. Again, mm-hmm. not an easy match ever playing against Switzerland because they have so many quality players, but it's not playing Brazil. And right. that changes the whole direction of when we're talking about going deep. A lot of that is just the, the 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 pathway that you have to go deep. Now, there's going to be upset somewhere in there. You know, if you go back to that group for Mexico, Germany went out. They finished bottom of the group uh, in, in that group after losing to Mexico in the, on the on the opening day. That changes the whole picture for Brazil. Potentially could have played uh, uh, Germany in in the first knockout round. Like that's that's crazy to me. But there's just no easy, easy pathway unless you get a little bit of help uh, along the way. So this Mexico side is is different. But again, they they are good in World Cups and they are good at navigating group play and and knowing exactly how to get that. And they have enough experience or veterans in that team. Again, that's a, a fine that gray area of veteran is a mix of like 
actual veterans and players that are too old to be in the national team, uh, but are still there. But that plays, that means something in a World Cup. And they've created almost an expectation when we get into World Cups, we at least get out of the group. And I think that's a that's a culture and a foundation that they're going to go into for this for this World Cup. And so while I think the team is in the state of flux in terms of who's the stars, who's the one that's going to lead the way, they look very different than the Nations League team that we saw where they were much more threatening. Uh, I've, six, seven months from now when the World Cup happens, they're going to be in, in, in a much a better form and a much more difficult team to beat yes. and much more of a World Cup side. Like they are a World Cup side always. Well, Charlie, I just want to make sure that everybody remembers the group. Now the draw, the excitement of the draw happened, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And so just to remind everybody, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. And they play Poland first, which I think is, you know, I'm I'm kind of anti-Poland right now. If they're going to start to steal Gaga Salinina from us, I'm, I'm like not as a big a fan of, of Poland, even though I spent some time on loan with Lech Poznan. If you're Mexico, today. Jimmy, wouldn't you want to play Poland first? Because you like your chances yes. against Saudi Arabia. Yes. They're good, by the way. But then Argentina's uh, a toss-up, I guess. Yeah, and Argentina's their middle game, which I find interesting. So if they can get a result in the game one, and then who knows what against Argentina. But they got Saudi Arabia last. You know, it could really come down to that. To make sure they book their ticket into the round of 16. But Charlie, we saw a version of Mexico in that last World Cup qualifier where they played some of the younger players that looked a little bit more vibrant than what they were going with before. So I wonder which version Tata Martino, the manager of Mexico, is going to go with once the big dance actually starts in November. Well, I think from Tata Martino's standpoint, now you can reset. You know, it's one thing to have you know, you're all your focus on World Cup qualifying and these are the only players that you're working with and you're not going to really go outside of that. And I think he's stubborn. At the end of the day, Tata Martino is, is stubborn. Now that you've qualified and things haven't gone all that well for Mexico through World Cup qualifying, given that the last performance was really positive for them, I think he can reset now and and reanalyze, okay, who who's in competition? Mm-hmm. I think Diego Lainez is one player that needs to find a good situation that needs to be playing heading into this World Cup because he's just a phenomenal talent and and something that offers, you know, speed and, and the acceleration off the dribble, creating for others in, in that Lionel Messi type of, of of style, obviously not of that quality, of that caliber, but he he has that type of flow where he can get on the ball and, and go left, go right. He's, he's really tricky. Um, he has that flair. You get him going, you get Chucky Lozano playing, and it's always to kind of set up your best players. Play to your strengths. Mexico's always been a possession-dominant team, but we have not seen that from them, and they haven't mm-hmm. been threatening. And so if you look at some of the players that can give you that 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 pace, that that threat, it's Diego Linez. Tegatito hasn't played well because he, he, it looks like almost like he's a, in, a little injured. But when you look at Uriel Antuna, that's a player who who's just getting after it. You you want players, no matter what, when they get the ball. Yes, they're they're aware of of their surroundings and where their teammates are, but you want them on attack mode. When right. I look at Diego Linez and Antuna, those two players are in attack mode, and then it's just getting Raúl Jiménez into a form. I mean, time is what's going to get him there. Time, and he didn't have time on his side. When you when you've been out for that extended amount of time, you, it's a period where. You get back on the pitch, but things aren't the same. You have to go through that whole process of getting your body back fit, getting the, the atrophy that you maybe had sustained, the hesitation, you know, with, with you playing with your head. So I do think Mexico come World Cup will be feeling good. And I think they could win this group. I, I honestly think they can win this group. I know Argentina is the, the top team, but it would not surprise me if Mexico won that group. And then they let's say they played Denmark in the round of 16. Well, and, they have to. I mean, I think that's yeah. where France would – they. Whoever gets second in Mexico's group is going to probably play France. They're going to win yep. Group D. And Group D has them, most likely New Zealand, and or excuse me, uh, either Peru or, or Australia. But I think Peru is going to have the edge there. So France, Peru, Denmark, Tunisia. And and I think France is going to win that group. So so you're you're really doing all you can to not get second in Group C because you don't yes. want to play France in the round of 16, to your point. Yeah. So So what I did want to look at really quick, and I'm trying to find it, is who Canada plays in their friendlies in June. Because as we have discussed before and as we're going to mm-hmm. discuss right now, there's only a set amount of games that you get to get with your group of players in your, in your player pool before the World Cup starts. You're going to get four to five games here in this block of, of games are in June. And then you're going to have two friendlies in September. And that's it. So I'm really curious as to what all the national teams are going to do, CONCACAF and other regions. 
in terms of who they're going to bring in and who they're going to give a chance or they already have who they think they're going to have and they're just going to try to build rapport and chemistry with that group to continue to fine tune. Now, Mexico plays Nigeria on May 28th. They got Uruguay. We play Uruguay as well and Ecuador. And then they have for their Nations League, they have Suriname and Jamaica away from home, which is a tough test. They had to come from behind and woke up qualifying to win 2-1 there when uh, Vega came on and actually made a big difference for them. So, again, another younger player doing well for Mexico. I think that Tata Martino has got to find that right balance. I think that he, for me, in the sixth spot, he just puts a double six in there and it just slows the game down. They don't get to transition the same way. There's a big gap underneath that that front three as to who's going to get them the ball. Chucky Lozano likes to, I think, likes to go wide and come inside and 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 get you know verticality and, and try to get in behind. Raúl Jiménez, proper number nine, sits in front of the or sits around the two center backs, and then Tecatito likes to kind of play from inside out as well or outside in. And they don't have any of that presence in the middle of the field because even though they have two hardworking guys, it makes them hard to break down. It doesn't necessarily mean they transition well. So I think they got to solve that and find that right balance. And they've got plenty of games here to figure that out. But Heath, what do you think about their opponents? We have Morocco and Uruguay before we take on uh, Granada and El Salvador. But they got Nigeria, Uruguay, and Ecuador. They got—I don't know where they got that third game in, but I kind of <laughs> wish we had a third game. Just throw it on the calendar. Yeah, we'll take we'll take who we can take, which actually isn't a bad shout, you know. Uh, just just to do it, especially if if you were to get someone in, in the region. I mean, the thing that's Interesting to me, just looking at the the tune-up games, is this is where the European teams are going to build a lot of value because they're going to be playing in Nations League in big games. Like England has Italy and Germany. Uh, they have Hungary as well, I believe. But they've got some very difficult games that are gonna, going to be leading up to the World Cup that are games of consequence. They're of value, and they're against really top opponents. This is where, no disrespect to the Nations League, because I am all about developing our region. And in order for the U S to get better, we have to have a stronger region as well. And that includes kind of all of the developing football nations, uh, whether in, 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 in Latam or the Caribbean, but the timing of that is, is, is not great because you will, you look at the nation's league in, in Europe and you have far better opponents. And so when I look at Mexico and their group, Poland is the only one, and I'm not sure what their schedule is leading up, but when I look at the other games, um, with Saudi Arabia and Argentina, I, I believe they're mostly going to be playing in, in, in friendlies that aren't the same level of magnitude, which I think levels the playing field for Mexico. And Mexico have put together a really powerful um, kind of uh, roster of games, or I guess whatever, schedule of games, leading up against tough opponents versus you know the only one Poland is going to be playing in official competition. Not sure what their schedule is. But when I, I remember just looking back at England's and going like, wow, they're going to they're have some major tune-ups that are going to have them firing come the world cup just because they're playing against good opponents with their best players and games of consequence okay so let's talk about costa rica really quick charlie because they play new zealand in a one-off 90 minutes anything can happen of course but i think costa rica are the favorites especially when you have keeler navas in the sticks and obviously one of the best defensive teams in all in Concacaf, especially when they knew they had to be perfect in every game because they weren't scoring a lot of goals if they get through that playoff they're gonna have a group with spain germany and japan which feels kind of group of death-esque. You know, there's a lot of group of death vibes with this particular group. Do you give them any chance to, to make any noise in that particular group? Because they had a tough group in 2014 as well, and they ended up winning that group. They had Italy and England and Uruguay, yeah. and they, they won that group, which was crazy. It was Tico fever at the 2014 mm -hmm. World Cup, and then they crashed out in 2018. And it still feels like they're relying on the same players to, have, to give them success <laughs> eight years later from 2014. Do you think it's just kind of that that's what they should be thankful for is the fact that they actually booked their ticket to go and then anything can happen because that is a very difficult group and they would end up facing Spain first, Japan second, and then Germany third. I could see them getting four points and, and four? four points. I, could see them getting, I, I think I could. And this for me is not as, as tough as what Canada has to go up against. Canada's group is, is really a group of death. I mean, yeah. Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. Uh, I think Japan is is not as strong. So I think I would give Costa Rica the nod versus Japan. Woo, and then I, like I could see them drawing against Germany and Spain. I, I could see that happening. Um, you know, this Costa Rica team has experience. And we saw that in CONCACAF uh, qualifying, World Cup qualifying, towards the, the end, the last, what, eight games, it was just a, a real strong defensive block. And they played to their strengths, whether it was counter or set pieces. In a World Cup, that can go a long way. Being a, a strong defensive team with, with 
the capabilities to one, expose you on the counter or in transition, and then using set pieces to your advantage. Costa Rica could surprise a lot of teams in this group. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, especially if Kaylor Navas stands on his head, which you're going to need him to, to do at times. But this is uh, – it's doable to, for them to, to shock teams in this group. I think Mexico has the easiest path to the next round. I think the U.S. is probably the second uh, – has definitely the second easiest group of, of the CONCACAF teams. Uh, England will be obviously really tough and difficult, but Iran is going to be beatable. It's not going to be easy, but very beatable. And whether you get Scotland, Ukraine, or Wales, again, very beatable if, if you do your job. Obviously, okay. nothing's a given. No, so. of course. I, I guess if we try to identify, give an identity to every team. Mexico, to your point, Heath, when you talked about Mexico, was they're a team that's maybe lacking an identity. Mm-hmm. Or they're kind of well, the identity we always knew them as, yeah. Of course, but yeah. they they do feel like they're in transition, where maybe their older guys that they rely on aren't as firing on all cylinders, playing to their potential. The younger guys maybe aren't ready for that responsibility just yet, even though you can see glimpses of it when they do get that responsibility. I think Costa Rica is kind of in the same boat. They've been relying on the same players for a long time, and then when they released all their young players against the U.S. in that last game. You're like, God, they got some good young players. Why don't we see more of those guys uh, throughout World Cup qualifying? So so I do think they can be dangerous, to Charlie's point. But they're in that area where does the manager have the courage to go with his young guys when the pressure mounts and the World Cup starts? That's going to be the big question, not only for Costa Rica, but for Tata Martino in Mexico. Now, Canada, I think they've got their identity. They've leaned hard on that identity, and that led them to success qualifying for the second World Cup in their history. Last time was in 86. So it's been a long time since they've been there. For us, though, even though I think we have an identity, we're still trying to figure out the best players to fit that particular identity. Mm-hmm. So let's focus now on the U.S. men's national team, Heath Pierce. I know that we're a little frustrated because we can't focus on one opponent in that first game. But as we've discussed before, we need all three points in that first game because then we start to play with a little bit of house money. You can relax a smidge, not mm-hmm. having to chase or be a little bit desperate in that second game where you could push too hard too soon get hit, get, get scored on first, and all of a sudden you're chasing the game in a way that, that makes it almost impossible for you to, to get back or the other team gets conservative based on what they're going to do. We got England second, so that's obviously something to take into consideration as well. Now, I think we can go toe-to-toe with every single team in our group. I don't care what the English fans say. We can go toe-to-toe with their team. We've proven it in a previous World Cup as well where they had, quote, on paper, and I'm using air quotes, superior talent, right? It's just mm-hmm. got to go out there and who's ready when the whistle blows in that particular moment, and I think our guys will be up for it. But we still have some questions that need to be answered that, that include our number nine and, and, and obviously injuries. This is all assuming everybody's healthy and ready to go. And, and what is our best collection of wingers and, and central midfielders? Even though I think we're all in the Moose and McKinney Adams camp, is there room to maybe try Gio Reyna centrally so we can get Timo Weah and Pulisic on the field at the same time? Can Timo Weah, who just played the number nine spot for Lille, maybe be our number nine and give us a bit of a different look? Is that... I mean, if you're Greg Berhalter, let me rephrase all of this right now because now I'm just kind of I'm, I'm brainstorming I'm with everybody. Hit us up on Twitter, too. ISWT pod on Twitter if you want to join this part of the conversation. Where's this guy going, Charlie? If Greg Berhalter I'm, I'm really is going to consider <laughs> Timo Way as a number nine, would you try it in one of these friendlies? You have to try it. I, why wouldn't you try it? And I don't want to see it against Granada or El Salvador with all due respect to the Nations League. I actually want to see it against an Uruguay or, or Morocco. Would, I mean, I, why wouldn't we try Team Away at the number nine just to see what it looks like? We, we, if, if that's a possibility, uh, from Greg Berhalter's perspective, if he's actually considering Way as a nine, then we, we will probably see that at some point as him playing the nine, depending on, of course, the form of Ricardo Pepe, the form of Jesus Ferreira. And I think uh, when you look at Jordan P. Folk's form, it's always been strong at home or playing for young boys, but not necessarily with the U.S. men's national team. And he's going to have to wait for his chance again. That's just the way it is because he had it. We didn't take it. And regardless of his club form, that's going to be on the minds of not only Greg Berhalter, but all the players, right? And it takes a, a while. It's a, it's a, it's a process. Um, I, this is my thing. You, you have a formation, you have your tactics, but if your players and your, your hot players all need to be on the field at the same time. And this is what Bruce Arena, if you think. By the way, the PFOC thing, uh, 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 Charlie, the PFOC thing, he got one chance. 
and we're holding him to that one chance that he got. You know, we've got, you know that. I, I, I don't disagree, but I'm just pointing out that he got one chance in a, in, in a small window of time. Do you uh, want me to call uh, Chris Wondolowski? Because I think people are still hanging on to that. He got one. I'll say this, Jimmy, and you know this really well. Bruce Arena, he didn't go, okay, this is my tactics and this is my formation. And let me put my players. He said, these are my best 11 players. I need to get them on the field first and then figure it out. If you don't have necessarily a striker who's playing, the question is, could you possibly switch the formation to a, a, a three uh, or to a four or five one, you know, to, to make sure that you have Musa, Adams, McKinney, and then a Gio Reyna or a Christian Pool six central, right, to create chances. And then maybe have – you still have the – you could get Brendan Aronson in if he's going in a team away. You know, so you just got to think a little bit more forward in the sense of how do I get my most effective players who are all in form? And if I have six wingers who are all hot right now and playing well at the highest level, I got to get five, at least five of them on the pitch and figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, Heath, what do you what do you say? I mean, I like I like giving Timo Wea a shot. And I and and you know, to go back to the to the uh PFOC point. I guess it is one of those things where he is going to be held to the standard of scoring when you get your chance to score. Because I feel, if I'm Greg Berhalter and, and it's my decision, I've got a number of other players that can do more than Jordan Pifak can over 90 minutes, right? To contribute to the team and the build-up play and everything that we're doing. So if I'm going to put Jordan Pifak on the field, I'm putting you on to score. Yeah, you have hold-up play. You're a big body. You occupy space and those types of things, which are, which are good. But over 90 minutes... You're not going to be my starter unless when you get your chance, you score your goal. So I agree with agree with Charlie on that. But for, for Timo Weah, again, another player that I think brings some different uh, ideas to, to the team. Now, how different those are from a, I don't know, Jesus Ferreira, I'm not really Very sure. Different. Um, Very different. Yeah. In terms of pace, just, just making runs off the ball and behind. Jesus Ferreira yeah. is not going to do that. And this is another thing that to go into what you're saying, Heath, maybe it's a – and I, I don't like this, but maybe it's a way that, okay, against Scotland, Ukraine, Wales, we're going to go with uh, a Jesus Ferrer because those type type of teams, they're used to long balls. They're used to, you know, people, you know, physical. We want tiki-taka. We want players to get in those spaces, draw them out, and we want to be in possession. So Jesus Ferrer fits that. Then against England, mm, maybe we don't want that, and we want just runs in behind to open up space, and Timo Way is your guy. And then you, you kind of reassess for the third game against Iran, who's been playing well, because I think in that case, maybe you want a more physical striker, a more dominant striker. So it, I don't like that, but that's a scenario where we could, it could be a reality where we have to go from game to game to assess who, who the nine is mm -hmm. because no one has stepped up. No, I think that's good info and good insight on that, Charlie, because if we'll have two games of information about Iran at that point too, right? Where their weaknesses are, what their vulnerabilities are, where we can potentially hurt them. They're going to have the same on us, of course, but okay, Jimmy, can I, can I just jump in real quick and say please. that Timo, Timo Weah does not score goals ever for the record ever. Like uh, you clearly scores. didn't see the, the game in, Jamaica. in Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I had him up for one of my goals of the year, but, and I was with his left foot. Fantastic. But like you're talking about over a calendar year, I don't think he scored for Lil. Um, no, he hasn't scored this calendar and I think year, he's or this, got, this season for Lou. Yeah, this full season. I think he's got – I think he had an, an assist over the weekend. Um, but, like, in terms of production, our number nine, again, I I, understand, I love the idea of what the space he's going to create in behind. I, I do like that. But can we not get that from him from another position on the field to have our nine who – like, have our nine now be somebody because they're different but still doesn't score any goals for us? I, th I think there's value to running the channels – if you're going to pull center backs out of position, you know, starting in a good spot and and running behind one center back, but trying to pull the other one with you. And I'm kind of thinking about uh, the potential center backs that could be lining up for England in particular, where if it is Stones and Maguire or whoever it is, you know, can we can we pull them out and not necessarily have to face team away against maybe a faster winger or a, a outside back? You know, yeah. if you got a Reese James or you have uh, and I know he'll probably be on the other side. Or maybe there's a Ben Chilwell where I think Timo Weah could get the better of, of Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell. But imagine Timo Weah's pace and and uh, quickness and and his timing of his runs, which are good mm -hmm. with a Maguire or Stones and pulling them out of that space. But then that's only one step of it. We all know this. That's one step of the whole process. Can we win the second ball if we're hitting hopeful balls into that space? Can we win the second ball? Can we be positioned to do that? And once we win that second ball, 
how are we then now taking advantage of the space that's been left open because of that run by Team Away? I mean, these are these are three really important steps to yeah. having that type of success. Are we built for that? McKinney, if he's out there, he's obviously always eager to join the attack and kind of fill that gap. So he would be really important to that. If it's Gio Reyna, essentially, he's going to be obviously looking to do that as well. And then Musa obviously is a good one off the shoulder of Tyler Adams to to pick up that second ball and run and break the lines and then maybe spray the ball out wide or shoot from distance or whatever. So it's interesting. But if you had a Pepe or if you had uh, Jesus Ferreira, they do look they look to come come back and combine a lot. And, and I, I worry that we might not have the verticality that we need, or at least to make us a little bit more unpredictable in the attack. And that's the only thing that that worries me a little bit. Uh, but uh, I would, I would say, we have a lot of time I, to talk about it, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I would say Wea has has all those qualities. And the thing is, you don't just stick someone who's fast up there to open up. Channels. Right, right, right. You know, you have to have some some sort of end product. And I think over the past two years, maybe it hasn't been so much the scoring goals part, but it's been pr- producing chance creation. And I think that's what Timothy Wea has done as of late. Now that we saw him against Jamaica and, and he scores that beautiful goal with his left left peg, can you now recreate that more often? And it's about putting him in, in positions of the pitch and giving him opportunities to do that. We haven't seen that yet with the U.S. Men's National Team. How many strikers have we seen across the over the years play as an outside winger, an outside midfielder, and then transition into a striker and then take off? I mean, it, it happens. I mean, Thierry Henry, obviously, this is the, the comp- complete opposite end of the spectrum. But Thierry Henry was a winger at first. Mm-hmm. And, and you develop certain qualities as off the ball running, as the timing, and then you come in centrally – and it's just maturing in your finishing. And I think that's where Timo Wea has to continue to improve is just the quality of, of the finish and, and the types of chances you're taking. So I would never rule that out. But it's just one of those things where, man, we really need to get someone who, who's going to solidify themselves as the nine. And I just hope it's Timo Wea. I just hope we get a look at it. I just want to see yeah. it, right? Even if it's for 45 minutes. Give us 45 minutes to see what that looks like. With with everybody out there, right? Well, anybody that's healthy, I suppose, because we're having a bit of an issue with that. But can we just see what the movements look like? Can we see that understanding that he's creating with with Pulisic? And if he does end up going from from inside to out, does Pulisic kind of wrap in into that space as he does at times with Chelsea to pick up the ball, and maybe make something happen? I, I like the 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 movement of Timo Weah. Now, maybe he's a little bit more comfortable outside than he is up top because he's getting a little bit more experience out there. But the fact that he can adapt to different situations, I think, is good. And I think he's one of our most improved players and, and was a key role, key guy for us uh, through World Cup qualifying. Now, I know we're wrapping up uh, this podcast. So we're going to get into final thoughts. Heath, any final thoughts about the U.S. men's national team? And then I want you to add, who do you think will actually go the farthest out of all these CONCACAF teams that we discussed today? Okay, Uh one, th- there was not a lot of humble brags from this group today, so not, I know. not great. I, I, I prefer if everybody gets a flex in, um, but it's a Monday. We're trying to start the week a little humbly. <laughs> I get it. You know, there's plenty yeah, of time the week. Yeah, we're Thursday. Thursday. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna throw a little, you know, a couple tomahawk dunks on our on our uh, FMF uh, Mexican national team guest that's gonna be joining us live on that show. Uh, and then I think the, I think the U.S. I believe this U.S. team is well equipped to go. Uh, at least into the next round, and then from there, depending on 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 um, yeah how we how we do in that. But I think I think this team is well equipped to get out of that group, and I think the U.S. is going to go uh, the furthest just based on on the groups right now. I, I, Mexico, maybe I don't know. I'm t- I, I'm torn on that. It's really hard. To well, I, I think Mexico finishes second, which means they'll probably play France, and that means yeah. their their continued run of losing in the round of sixteen continues. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Okay, let's say they get second. They're going to play most likely the Netherlands or Senegal. Mm-hmm. Netherlands have a have a tendency to underperform in the biggest competitions. Senegal, even though coming off uh, winning the Africa Cup of Nations and beating Egypt in a really tight playoff with a bunch of green lasers. You know what? If Senegal doesn't have green lasers pointing at our players' faces, we got a chance. I just want to throw that one out there. But, uh, yeah, I think that could be a bit of more of a coin flip. And I know my bias is showing here that I think we're giving yeah. us a chance. But um, Costa Rica would cross over with the Belgium group. And Canada would then cross over with uh if they get second let's say canada gets second they would play spain or germany most likely and i could see their run coming to an end there as well we could actually have all three of our top three teams get knocked out in the round wow. of 16, which would be which would be i don't know how i feel about that all three hosts of the 2026 world cup but 
it would be a sign that we we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I think all three of us in in that World Cup in itself. Charlie, your final thoughts and who do you think's getting the farthest? You know, of of the teams, I think Mexico has the best chance to come away with the top spot in in their group. Um, you know, the U.S. I wouldn't be surprised either if the U.S. wins their first game against Scotland, Ukraine, or Wales, whoever that may be, and then gets a draw against England coming into the last game against Iran, where now it's on, you got to win. And it's all, it's about, it's about your goal differential um, Mm -hmm. and and how many goals you scored. So that could be interesting. And I would rather be playing the Netherlands or Senegal than France or Denmark. If I was coming out of a group. So if you, if you put that in context, it may be easier for Mexico to win their group and get out of it. But ultimately, I'd rather be in the U.S.'s group because I'd rather want I'd rather place either Netherlands or Senegal. And then Canada. I don't mind Denmark to be honest. To be honest. Yeah, but they're they're a very um, solid team. Yeah, they are very good. And then and then uh, Canada, I, I I could see them shocking one of the big two, uh, Croatia or Belgium. But Costa Rica probably has an easier, uh, and it's not very easy, but an easier time uh, than Canada does to to make some noise in that group. That's that's bold shout. Which uh, it's it's crazy that Canada wins Concacaf and they have the hardest group and yeah. Costa Rica gets fourth and uh, we could argue they have a a group that's not easy but but one they could maybe do some damage in so that mm-hmm. is uh, pretty interesting. All right, everybody, that is the end of in soccer we trust for today. Come back and join us on Thursday. That'll kick off at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and we have a Mexican national team player that'll be joining us. I'm going to keep it as a tease. He's got over 100 caps for the national team. Over 100 caps for the national team. So he's experienced. He's been around. He's seen some things. He's played in some World Cups. We're excited to have him on the show. You guys can look up on Wikipedia and try to figure out which one of those players it is. But it promises to be a great, great podcast. As always, we're trying to bring you all the good analysis, of course, but also great guests as we start our road down to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. So on behalf of producer Alex, Charlie Davies, Heath Pierce, I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening to In Soccer We Trust, and we will see you on Thursday. Have a good one, everybody. Later. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.